take your seats. I'm going to accept the ministry team. I'd like you to come on the platform, please. I will be needing the worship team in a minute, but you can go off, ladies and then um, gentlemen. If I could have the ministry team up on the platform. Let's welcome them. They're here every Sunday, ready to pray, ready to minister. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to go into, into a time of ministry right now, but we're going to have some words of knowledge, um, some pre- prophetic input from the ministry team about who God's going to touch. So I just want you to be open to the Lord ministry team right now. And um, yeah, you might get a word of knowledge about a, a healing that needs to take place or something like that. Or you might have a, you know, a prophetic insight about something that God's doing in someone's life that's in the congregation. And so just, just be open to that right now. And we're going to deliver some of those uh, spiritual gifts from the platform. And then people are going to begin to respond. And we're going to minister to people in that way before we come to the word of knowledge. So um, just um, wait on the Lord. Brett, do you want to come forward? And uh, I'm sure that there's something that you can activate right now. So just a prophetic word or a leading about who God wants to heal. Spirit, we thank you right now, Father God. Just as uh, Bruce was starting to talk, the lady at the back with the red hair, with the scarf around her neck, just around those three people there, there was an anointing being poured out right now, and there's, there's, uh, there's like a, some sort of sickness been troubling your physical bodies. Is that, uh, is that you at the back there? Yeah. Just in that section now, I just saw an anointing being starting to being poured out, a healing anointing. Then I believe God was um, wanting to touch a physical infirmity. It was either one of you three. It was in that section, so it was between the three of you. But I specifically think it was you. It's fine if it's not you. That's fine. You don't. Do you have anything that you need a healing for? You've had stomach problems, and what about any of the other ladies at the back? Do you do you need a touch of healing? No. Well, why don't you come uh, forward? Yeah, come forward, any of the, and, we, and, and just, come to the, just come to the front, and uh, we'll pray for you in a few moments. Any, any? We'll come back to you. Anyone else? On the ministry team, you've got a thought or a word? I know that God's going to give you something. Come forward. Yeah, just take a seat on the front row. Take a seat on the front row because we'll just get some words and, and then, um, then we'll begin to minister. From, from your, um, you know, in inside. I don't know the mm. word. Something inside there in your tummy. In your tummy area. In your tummy. 
your stomach that you've been suffering. So if you if you want the Lord to touch you right now, you can come and have a prayer. Wonderful. Yeah. If you've got any problems in the stomach area and you, you, you want prayer, leave your seat. Just come here. Just come to the front. Take a seat. We're going to minister to you in a moment. If you're upstairs in the balcony and you've got some problems in the stomach area, then leave your seat. Come down. Now's, now's the time to move. Someone else? It might be a healing. It might be a prophetic word. Yep, Daniel. Um, I've been getting this um, significant touch hit this part of my body, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit what it is. And I believe that it's tension. Um, there's somebody here it's, in my body. It's just going up from my muscle up to my ear, and I and I believe it's to do with tension. Somebody's going through a significant time of tension in your life. And what's triggered it is that people have spoken, so this is words-activated tension and stress, recently have spoken either negative things about you or said hurtful things or said something that's activated a huge amount of tension and pressure and it's to do with what people say. And I, and I just believe that God wants to do something and I'm more than happy to, to pray with them or, or anything. So if this is you, this I mean, maybe all of us have a certain amount of tension in our lives, but this is significant. It's turned your world upside down. You, It's like it's there. It's niggling all the time in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul. It's like pain, tension, tension, tension over something that somebody said that wasn't right, that wasn't true about you or something that said there was a criticism somebody that said that put you down and God wants to lift it off and release that tension and set you free from that. I'm more than happy to pray for whoever that Okay, so is there anybody here that you say, yeah, that come to the front, come to the front anybody else? because sometimes it might be more, yeah, there's a few people just come, come nearer to the front, take a seat at the side, we're just bringing you ready so that then we're going to have a time of ministry. Okay, so some other things. You got something? Yeah, you got something? Even if you think, you, you might think, yeah, got anything? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just sense in my spirit that there's someone who. Um, has applied to go to university and is having some problems with um, getting the, the fees and this person is very anxious, is really having, you know, sleepless nights about it. Um, I don't know if there's anybody here. And, you know. So is that someone about university and fears and anxiety and just let us know? Because um, if that's you, we want to pray. Is that you? Wonderful. Come on down. Well done. Anything else? Um, well, um, I believe that uh, you know God is saying that um, you 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 are going to have you know you will have the funding for the um, oh, wait to do she, your course. All right, I'll tell you what. Wait till so, she comes. Wait till she comes down. She's, down, she's going down the stairs, and then um, I'll let you prophesy over. When she comes down, you can go over and prophesy to her. So you go down, and we'll start that straight away. You got something? Anything, Henderson? You know what? Not sure is good enough. No, seriously, not sure is good enough. Okay, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a prophet, but um, I just feel that um, 
someone is doubting God for something that they've been praying about and um, they're not really believing that God can do it and I just I'm just really picking it up in my spirit that someone is doubting God for something something that um, it's been going on for months and um, they're allowing the enemy to to distract them and not really trust God for this I don't know yeah it's good so when we start ministering yep see people moving already we're going to be ministering into that area where you say yeah that's me I'm struggling I'm doubting trust that's you make your way forward and you can take a seat here at the front and be ready for that again if you're upstairs don't think of it's a long way down because that could be your breakthrough yeah um, I sense that there is somebody here who has a case going through the courts and uh, it's got to the point where you're so much anxious and afraid that the outcome might be against you the Lord has a word for you so it's a court say that again what is it it's a court case a court someone who's got a court case and uh, needs prayer needs prayer yeah the person is so much worried about the anxious about the outcome and feel that maybe it might go against okay or her. brilliant that's for you so well we got one already that's good no ministry team aren't meant to be ministering to ministry no it's okay we'll take that and there may be some others sometimes when these word comes that there's one or two or three people so if you've got a court case going on that you're concerned about then maybe somebody coming down there we're going to pray for you as well so just remember if this is for you keep it in your mind just come to the front because we're going to release a time of prayer and ministry yeah okay and then we'll come back yeah so hold these things in your hearts yeah I trust you go ahead um, it's for that lady standing and I feel that the Lord is saying he's wrapping his arms of love okay just tap that lady that's lost in love and wonder yeah go on um, I feel the Lord is saying to you that he's wrapping his arms of love around you and he says I hear you you've prayed enough and he loves you and he just wants you to just hug yourself and just receive his love and he's heard you amen wonderful that's wonderful and we're going to and make sure you pray for her as well um did you who yeah yeah um, i was sensing that um god wants to take us to a deeper level in our, in this church but he's seeking purity in our hearts purity so we should make sure that our heart is clean because God wants to take us very deep into things about him but most of us we are not there yet in our hearts so God is seeking purity in our hearts hey wonderful and if, and that's a word for us all but if there's something you go if you're thinking to yourself do you know what that is really me I need to I need to get myself sorted in that area then when we start praying come up and we'll pray with you about that yeah um, similar to um, I was just said about at some Quite a few people here have been doubting about going to Bible school and you've been praying about it and you've been sort of in your heart for a few months and there's two particular obstacles that I believe that are in your heart or in your mind which are that you may not see yourself as a very academic person 
And the other thing is that you are not sure exactly whether you'll be in the country in like nine months or six months time and you don't want to commit fully. But I just want to say to you something that God has your future planned out and he wouldn't take you in one direction uh, and lead you in one direction if, if, if he wasn't going to continue that and build on that. And the other thing about not being academic, the, the apostles were supernaturally empowered to do something they weren't trained in school to do. And I want you to, if that is you, you're wanting to come to Bible school, come forward, we're going to pray for you because God is, the fire of God is going to hit you and you're going to receive a supernatural enabling to do the academics and build yourself out for the work of the kingdom. So we and pray I, for I you. See, I see, that might be a number of you. I see someone coming down and if that's you and you're thinking about, well, it resonates what Daniel said. Um, yep, yep, come forward. I sense a spirit of unforgiveness. Somebody has been holding grudge. Either your family, either your family or a friend or someone else is so hurting you that you have just locked up. You don't want, you know, associate yourself with them. If you are the one, come up, we pray for you for a release. Amen. So we're going to pray for release of unforgiveness. God. I had the same one, but it was specific that you're turning out of Christmas. Um, a specific that it's family and you do not want to go to the Christmas celebration. You rather you're thinking of going away as an excuse, but you're hurting because of that hurt. So there's someone that you don't want to go to the family Christmas thing because things are bad. We want to minister to you. Any, any more? Go on then. And then Shakti, come up. You've got one. Yeah, I believe the Lord showed me a, uh, a picture of a, a lump, a growth, and it's on the right-hand side of your back. Um, well, it's right, right there. Is that who's that in here tonight? I believe God wants to take that off your, off your body today, by, um, by His power. Come down. Is that yeah. somebody in here tonight? You have a growth on your back, on the lower part of your back. That's you. Jesus. Good. Is that your right hand side? Is that on the on the right hand side? Yeah. yeah. Come forward. You're going to be healed. We'll pray for you. And then um, Kishakti, final one. Anybody got any more? We we got lots to minister into right now. Go ahead. And then Thanks, if we could please. have the singers back on, ready, because we're going to move into a time of worship and ministry. We've just had a a month of Thanksgiving, and um, where we've come forward and just thank God for all the things He's in our lives. And I really believe that there's people here or somebody here who think, Lord, you know, that was a great month and I really thank you for all you've done in my life. And, but it's been so tough. Life is tough. You know, it's hard enough to pay my bills. It's hard enough to, you know, just do the simple things, Lord. And it's in my heart and I love you and I give you so much, Lord, but I just cannot do it. It's impractical and I can't afford to do it. And I really believe God is saying, I placed an amount in somebody's heart saying, Lord, this is the amount I wanted you to give. And that amount scared you. It was beyond your faith level. You said, Lord, I can't do that. Number one, I haven't got it. Number two, if I do it, something else will suffer. Lord, I want to do it, but I'm scared. And so you didn't do it and the months gone by. And yet it's niggling in your heart and God you know, you knew it was God, and God's saying, don't worry, my grace is sufficient for you. Do it. That is from me. That figure wasn't from the Satan. It wasn't from your own flesh. That figure 
was from me. If you obey me and step out, I'll do something amazing in your life in the area of finance. I will break through. Obey me with that figure. And you watch what I'll do. Amen. So we've just released. You don't have to remember everything that was said. It's the one that touches your life. And some of you have already come forward. And some of you are yet to come forward. And what we're going to do, just, we're just going to spend some time in the presence of the Lord. Now, we've had some words of knowledge and words of prophecy and words of healing. But it doesn't mean if you haven't had one that it's not your time to receive from God right now. So where you are right now, when we begin to worship the Lord, we'll pray for these people that are responding specifically to these words first. But as we go along, if there's something you particularly feel led, led to be prayed for, then you can leave your seats as well. And we're just going to release. Father, we thank you for your wisdom and we thank you for your word of knowledge. We thank you for your healing flow and we thank you for your prophecy that lets us go into the liberty that you've called us. We believe that there is a release of divine anointing in this place. Lord, Holy Spirit, you're working in the body and through the body. And Lord, in this time of ministry, prayer and worship, we pray that you will pour out your spirit upon us. We pray that you will do miracles, healings, freedom, and you will bring assurance. As we pour our worship on you, pour out your spirit on us, we pray. Let's stand together. Let's minister to the Lord. And those of you that have come forward and those of you that want to come forward, we're going to minister in the power of those words together.
We're still going to be ministering here at the front, but we're going to go into a, another song together. And uh, this song was uh, written by Jonathan um, a few weeks ago. It was the leadership conference. And um, 
It was a Friday night of the leadership conference, Energize. And when I went to bed at night, my head hit the pillow and the Lord told me to read Ezra. And I didn't have my Bible or my glasses upstairs with me. So I took my iPhone and I got an app on it where you can listen to the Bible. So I just switched on Ezra, laid back, and I just listened to the book of Ezra. And I've studied Ezra since I was 17 doing A-level um, RE. But it was like listening to a book I'd never heard of before. It was like listening to it for the first time. And as I listened to the book of Ezra, God gave me revelation after revelation and insight after insight in the restoration move that God is doing amongst us and wants to do in Britain and across Europe. And so we had Roberts last week, which is wonderful. But before that, I think I've ministered twice, possibly three times, I think twice, on the Ezra restoration and its prophetic voice for us today and for our church and for our nation. And as I was ministering on it, God gave Jonathan some words, a prophetic song that was in line with the prophetic revelation that God was given to me. And what God's been given to me out of Ezra, he placed in a song in Jonathan's heart. So we're going to finish ministry. If you still need prayer, there's still time for you to come during this song. We're not curtailing things. But what we're going to do is before I minister the word, we're just going to go into this prophetic song, which is really a song that's bringing the message that I'm trying to bring in this season of Esther, of not Esther, Ezra restoration. Of life, 
Take your seats. Uh, you can just finish off praying quietly here at the front. And we're going to move on to the next um, place together. So we're looking at prof- prophetic themes from the book of Ezra. And I encourage you, if you've not heard the preceding sermons, on Sunday evenings that I've spoken on Ezra, I encourage you, if you've got time this week, to go and, um, uh, and hear those. I'll recap on a few of them uh, before we move on. As I said, the book of Ezra gives us a pattern, a prophetic pattern of restoration. And uh, the whole background and story of the book of Ezra is this, is that the Jewish people were taken into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And the reason that they were taken into captivity for 70 years was because of their disobedience to the Lord. But after 70 years, when they began to see that the time had come for them to return, God called and began to move by his spirit on different people's lives, 
I'm not going to go into detail in this, but you will see in chapter 1, and I mentioned this in my first sermon on Ezra restoration, that God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus there in the first few verses. Wasn't even a, a, a believer. But God began to put the historical perspectives in place for this great restoration to, do, to, um, to come to pass. Can you just turn me down a little bit in the monitors? Thank you. Now, God is a God of purpose. And God is the Lord of history. And even when it looks bad for the people of God, God is still as, still as in control of history as when it looks good for the people of God. Sometimes people think, oh, it's God abandoned us. Things aren't going well for the people of God. <clears throat> well, God's just as in, in control then as he is when there's full-blown <clears throat> revival. And um, it was God's will that they go into captivity for 70 years. But God knew the very year when he was going to bring them out. And nobody could stop him from doing what he'd already prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. You know, it's so wonderful. We're all here for such a time as this. Don't, you know, read the old revival and go, Oh, I wish I'd been there in the time of Wesley. You'd have been awful in the time of Wesley. You wouldn't have coped at all because that's not your time. Oh, I wish I'd been in some of those glorious Welsh revivals. You'd have hated it. Don't fool yourself. Uh, you'd have hated it. Uh, you weren't born for the Welsh revivals. You were born for today. God has placed you in history now. And I don't know how you feel about yourself, whether you, you like what's going on or not like what's going on. In one sense, I'm um, not really interested in that, except God's placed you for such a time as this. One of the biggest things you can do is wake up to the fact you're not an accident. You wish it was better in the past or you hope it's going to be better in the future. You're the answer to your nation's need. You're the answer. You have the equipment, the ability to do everything that God has called you to do. He's the Lord of history. And so he stirred up Cyrus and got the his historical background ready. He was moving in government circles and getting things ready for his purposes with his people of God. How many of you know that history and, and things that happen in history is all for the purpose of the people of God? That sounds a bit arrogant to say, but it's not arrogant if you're a true servant of the only true God. So everything that's going on in the world is for his people's purpose and his people's sake, even when it seems to be contrary. It seemed to be contrary that God would allow the Babylonians to destroy and sack the temple, take away the golden utensils, take away the people. It seemed like God had abandoned them, but God was just as in control there as he was when he was bringing them back. So he stirred up Cyrus, but not only Cyrus, not only was God working in history for what he was about to do, he also began to work in his people of God. He began to move in his people. It says in verse 5 of chapter 1, um, the heads of the houses whose spirits God had moved arose and got up to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. You know, the restoration, those that came out of Babylon was a few. Most of the Jews remained in Babylon. They'd got used to living in Babylon. They were prospering in Babylon. They'd got used to Babylonian ways and Babylonian thoughts. And so the majority of the Jews did not return. They stayed in their comfort zone in Babylon. 
come out of Babylon, God says in the New Testament. There is a New Testament form of Babylon. It's not out there in Persia. It's called the spirit of the world. And we all know, I don't need a prophet to say this, but one of the biggest dangers in Western Christianity today is Babylonianism, where Christians make themselves comfortable in worldliness. In, some of, in, in their preaching, they preach worldliness, a, a, a form of godliness that denies its power. And so sometimes Christians are as worldly as the worldly ones. They just have a, just have a religious veneer on it. God is calling us out of Babylon to tread the old paths. That was part of one of my prophetic themes two weeks ago. God was calling us to tread the old paths, which are actually the new radical paths today. A lot of people trying to figure out how to grow churches or how, how to change things, and they're adapting this, and you know, there's, there's this missional thing and that missional thing and this technique and that technique. It's the old ways, which are the radical new ways today. The ways of prayer, the ways of seeking, heart, seeking God, the contrite heart, the sacrifice. It's the old ways, which will become the radical new ways as we follow those paths. So we saw them return, and as they returned, they returned with all the gold of the temple with them, the gold utensils. God equipped them for the return. They didn't go back empty-handed. It reminded us of the, of the time when uh, they came out of Egypt, but they didn't come of e out of Egypt poor. They were in Egypt poor, but they came out of Egypt rich and left Egypt poor. And so when they came out of Babylon, the king gave them all the utensils, not just for the sake of it, they were the utensils. It was the, um, um, the uh, tools to do the job he'd called them, which was to build the altar and restore the temple. And God is calling on his church in Europe to come out of Babylon. He's stirring our hearts to walk the old paths that actually, if we, if we walk them, will be the new radical paths. And he's equipped us with the utensils, the spiritual gifts, the truths that will enable us not only to build the altar and the temple, but to function in God's new restoration plan for Europe in his people if they listen. And then we came to chapter 2. And I was telling you about how I'd listened to chapter 2. And uh, to begin with, I thought, oh, here we go. I'd forgotten about chapter 2 when I was listening to it. I thought, there's no fast forward. I wouldn't have fast forwarded it because Lord told me to listen to the whole thing. But I, fa I thought, I can't even fast forward this even if I wanted to. It's one of those jolly genealogies that you find in parts of the Bible, which always used to uh, hasten my Bible reading when I came to them. Because guess what? I never read them. <laughs> What's the point? I'm not going to sit there reading some genealogy about who begat who, begat him, begat who. Begat him who begat who, who was the second son of the fifth begatter. I'm not going to do What's the plus? Meaningless. Meaningless. That's what I used to think. I used to skip it. Um, but I couldn't skip it because I was listening to it. But as I began to listen, I began to appreciate a, a genealogy for the first time. Well, I appreciate the Matthew, I mean, the Matthew and Luke genealogy, one, uh, with, one with the line of Mary, one with the line of Joseph. I appreciated that, understood that. But as I heard chapter 2, these, these people who returned, I thought, oh my goodness me, this is a roll of honor. These people, when they 
trod the old paths to the old temple, when they left Babylon to restore the temple, the few, when God stirred their hearts, they never had any idea that their names would be written in the Word of God. I mean, they would have no idea. We're going back. We got lots of difficulties. Most of the Jews, they had no idea that God knew their name and that those that seemed such a small thing to begin with, seemed such a small group coming back, that God said, I will make your names great. For thousands of years, people have read these names, names like Elam, names like Parosh, Jorah. I bet he never knew he would be in verse 18 of Ezra chapter 2 in the Word of God. Jibar, Harim, Nebo, Mikmas. Oh, that's a good name. I bet Mikmas, I bet you're up there in heaven now and you didn't know you'd be in the Word of God. And, and that somebody would be reading your name in 2012 in Kensington Temple, London, England. Your name, Mikmas. Your name. And I thought, this is, God's got a role of honor for us. We're brought for this, this time to bring about the purposes of restoration in our lives, our church, our nation, our Europe. And God knows our name, and we might be small in our own eyes. But I tell you what, if we do what God has called us to do in the great apostolic vision of this house, if we apply the apostolic vision, which is the blueprint for us, our names will be in the book of remembrance. Hallelujah. And then I moved on from that into the assembly and how they came back. And the first thing they did was uh, get the altar working. Because they'd been 70 years without blood religion. How many of you know Christianity is a blood religion? There's other religions that are blood, but they're usually the blood of somebody else that doesn't agree with them. But Christianity is a blood religion. It's about sacrifice, and it's predominantly about the one sacrifice for all mankind when the Lamb of God shed his blood on Calvary. Behold, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who taketh away the sins of the world. He doesn't just pay for the sins, but he's ready to take them away. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he will take your sins away. And so they knew, these Israelites, there'd be no sacrifice for 70 years. They knew that God was with them. They knew that God understood, but there'd been no shed blood. So the first thing they did was get the altar built and get the blood shed. Get, that, get the power of the blood working again. And in the Old Testament way, in, in chapter 3, you see them. They're bringing the animals. They're repairing the altars. They're shedding the blood. And now, according to sacrificial truth, now forgiveness is flowing, provision is flowing. Now God is being blessed and pouring out his spirit because blood is on the altar. Blood is flowing, freshly slain. Blood, and all of a sudden it's the blood that begins to move spiritual forces. It's the blood that drives out the enemy. It's the blood that attracts the anointing. It's the blood that brings healing. It's the blood that brings restoration. May I be so bold as to say there's too many bloodless temples in the Western church today preaching a bloodless religion of psychology, self-help. 
The only help you need is the blood of Calvary applied by the power of the Spirit. And so, there's no point building a temple without the altar of blood. There's no point building a movement without blood, the blood of Jesus and the power of Jesus. I said that this rebuilding of the altar is something that God is doing in our own personal lives. There's still a long way to go for many of us. But God, by His Spirit and His Word, if we yield to Him, He's building an altar in our hearts where the crucified Savior can find a place to sit by His Spirit. Let Him repair your altar, wholeness, and the brokenness that is a wholeness. You know what I'm saying? There is a brokenness that God wants to heal, but there is a brokenness that God wants you to have that is wholeness, and that's a reliance on Him. And then after that, we saw, once they'd got the blood flowing, then they began to build the temple, and last time I was with you, we saw that when they built the temple, there was uh, weeping. It was there at the end of chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Uh, there was joy, but there was weeping. There was joy. Those that, that, that were old enough to have seen as young children the former temple were weeping. And I don't know whether they were weeping because the temple, was so, the temple they'd done was so small compared or whether they were just weeping with joy because they never thought they'd see it. I don't know. It's probably a bit, of, a bit of both. But the people that had never seen it before were shouting with joy because they, they'd only heard the stories of the restoration. They'd only heard the stories of the temple and, and the worship. Now they were instrumental in restoring it. And in the restoration that God wants in our lives, it will also be times, seasons of great joy but seasons of great mourning. And weeping and mourning is not always negative. Do you know that? Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Sometimes a weeping and a mourning comes that is actually us just seeing things as they really are. Sometimes people, Christians, put themselves in cotton wool and they go around in cotton wool. They don't realize what's going on. If they actually opened their eyes and saw what the enemy was doing to people in the church and out of the church, they would be deeply moved. They would be moved to weeping. They would be moved to concern. There is a weeping over the loss that we haven't touched yet in this present generation. It's not, I'm not complaining. I'm not there either. But God wants a weeping generation. It's like that song, isn't it? We're a, what, a dancing generation? He wants a weeping generation and a dancing generation. He wants a sound from his restored temple of a loud shout and the noise of the shout of joy and so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping. That sounds like the noise of revival to me. The joy and the weeping. The joy and the weeping. Jesus was a man of sorrow, but he was a man of joy. And that's where God wants us. He wants us with wet eyes and leaping hearts. You see, how can you be joyful and weeping at, at the same time? You can. They were. Hallelujah. And it's the joy and the weeping that'll get the job done. Now, when we get into chapter 4... And I'm not going to go into detail. I'm just 
bringing out prophetic things here. When we get into chapter 4, it's interesting. We now move and we have a theme in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, until we get Ezra actually coming on the scene in chapter 7. It's interesting. It's called the book of Ezra, and he doesn't come on the the scene until chapter 7. But when the Ezra comes, when Ezra comes and all this work has been done, Ezra comes with the Ezra anointing. I'm going to speak on that next week. The Ezra anointing, which will probably, I would imagine, complete this mini four four series of prophetic burden that God put on my heart. But when you look at chapter four, if you just flick through it, and five and six, it seems very strange because a lot of it is full of legal letters. Legal letters written to... um, the, the Persians, legal letters written back, legal letters of complaint, the people of the land complaining about the Jews, uh, the Jews writing letters, defending themselves, the government writing legal letters back, and, and you, you, would, you would think it was politics and religion in Britain today. I mean, we've gone through chapter 1, 2, and 3, and and we're talking about God-stirring hearts. We're talking about people coming out of Babylon, uh, wealthy, with the tools to do the job. We're we're talking about the singers and the musicians getting together. We're talking about repairing the altar. We're talking about building the temple. We're talking about restoration, all these wonderful spiritual themes. And then you hit three chapters of politics. And as I began... To listen to it, again, it's strange, it's different. I think I've only ever read Ezra. I don't think I have ever heard Ezra. So I guess that Friday night when God said, read Ezra, and I ended up listening to it, it was a different way of interacting with it. Do you know what I'm saying? And as I began to listen to 4, 5, and 6, I'd never seen it before. Maybe you've seen it, but I'd never seen it before. I'd done Ezra at A-level, Ezra and all that stuff, the restoration. never saw it. Mind you, I wasn't saved when I was at A-level. But anyway, I still hadn't seen it. And I began to listen to the thought, do you know what this sounds like? This sounds like what the Christian church is going through in England today. Politicians trying to stop us. Politicians telling us what we should do and what part of our religion is acceptable and what part isn't. And, and, and trying to block us and churches trying to find buildings and churches trying to be free to minister and local councils opposing them and telling Christians you can't wear crosses and telling Christians you can't you can't you don't have a right to have a biblical view on sexuality and you have to stop doing it and we'll prosecute you if you do that and you fall into line and I thought these and as I listened to this you know I thought so strange legal letters in the Bible legal letters lawyers getting involved And so what we see in these chapters, and you can read them at your own convenience, is opposition to the building and the continuing work of restoration. Opposition to the building. And it was political opposition. Oh, I'm sure there were spirits behind it, but it was manifesting its form politically. I think sometimes revival Christians and Pentecostals, not now, I think 
I think, by and large, Pentecostals in Britain have grown up and are pretty wise as serpents to what's going on. But in the old days, uh, we were so spiritually minded, you know, you wouldn't even give a thought to politics. You're just too busy in the spirit speaking in tongues to think about politics. But here, they had political opposition. In, uh, in chapter 4, the first thing that happens... Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers, this is chapter 4, verse 2, houses, and said to them, let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed it to him since the days of Esarhad, the king of Esar, Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel. Then verse 4, Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. The first thing that they tried to do was bring compromise into the restoration of God's people. They, they, were, they were trying to make a deal. They said, look, if you compromise with us, if you share your religion with us and allow us to bring our values, if you share your religion with us, guess what? You can have some government grants. We'll give you a few buildings that you can use for your youth club. Sound familiar? But if you do it, you're going to compromise because there's certain standards and views that we have that you have to fall in line with. And you can see in certain strands of church life in Britain and Europe that they, that they have simply bowed the knee to secular government thoughts, forces. I know Christians, I know vicars, personally, who have bowed the knee to secularism. What secularism says about sexuality, they say the same thing. I mean, what, what, what society says as normal, they'll say it's as normal. And they will change the word of God to fit in. They, they have uh, compromised the word of the gospel in seeking to be acceptable to their current society. The moment you seek to be acceptable to your current society, you cease to change it, it changes you. Let me say that again. The moment you try to become acceptable to your current society, you cease to change society, and society changes you. I'm not saying we should go out there and be rude to society. I'm just saying we're here to be salt and light. And so they said, no, no, it's not right for the ungodly to tell the godly how to preach the gospel. It'll be a cold day in hell when the unregenerate dictates to me and you, what the gospel is and isn't. I mean, I know the Church of England, and thank God for all the great things that's happening in the Church of England. God is doing a new work there, and raising up great men and women of God. So I'm not, I would be the last to speak against that great church that is, is, is on the up, not the down. But they're in a difficult position, aren't they? Because the new archbishop, by the way that things are historically, he becomes archbishop... But at the same time, he also becomes a government ruler, doesn't he? Because he becomes in the House of Lords. So it's difficult. But I remember one politician saying, do you know what? If this, is, this Church of England 
uh, needs to be governed by law. We should tell them to have women bishops. And now, whether you believe in women bishops or not, and hey, the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned, whether you believe in women is not, who, do, who, do, who is that unregenerate, unsaved, servant of Satan in Parliament to dictate to the people of God what we should do and what we shouldn't do? Do you know what I'm saying? Is that too strong? But that's the problem when the church, and the, comp- the church and the state get into a situation of compromise. There's always a problem when the church dictates, sorry, there's always a problem when the state begins to dictate to the church, just as there's always a problem when the church seeks to be the state. Just look at church history. And we're, the problem now is that the state is trying to dictate to the church. Well, you can push us only so far. You can push us only so far, and then you'll find what it is when we refuse. When we draw a line in the sand and say, I'm sorry, we would rather obey God than man. It preaches well. It preaches well, but of course the day will come when we will have to say that. And then it may not preach so well. And they sought to discourage them. Because they refused to compromise God's restoration plan. They were saying, God has told us to do this. God has brought us back. And God, they remembered, they thought that some of the old guys were saying, don't compromise. That's what got us in the problem to begin with. When we started to look to Egypt for help. When we started to look to other countries for help, God says, what are you doing? Um, the Babylonians are going to take over. Oh, no, no, it's all right. Don't worry about it, God. We've made alliances with other nations. And God said, because of that, because you've not trusted me, because you've trusted in the Egypts of this world, you're going to be taken away. And they learned their lesson. They also knew that God was in control. So what happens? Well, they didn't like that. They didn't like that fighting talk. And they were offended. So the politicians and the government forces said, we're going to sort these people out legally by law. And so, verse 5, they hired counsellors against them. I say lawyers. They hired lawyers against them to frustrate their purpose. You say, well, why do you say lawyers? Because in verse 6, it says they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants. And I won't go into it, but there's the legal letter there in verse 9. The legal letter that they wrote to the authorities, seeking to prevent the restoration. And verse 12, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building a rebellious and evil city. And so they begin to put legal things into work. So we have to understand that it's important for us to be salt and light in our nation. It's important for us to stand up, to vote for the right things, to, to get involved, because God, God can use politics for good, but the devil can use politics for bad. And so they sent this legal letter, they started lobbying and wanting legal laws to come to pass, and so what actually happened was, when they sent this to King Artaxerxes in verse 23, he passed a law and told them to pre- stop building, and he says, Now, when the copy of Artaxerxes' letter was read that said, stop it straight away, 
they took the legal letter and they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Verse 24, thus the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem ceased and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Wow, they stopped the work of restoration. It looked like the politicians had won. Sometimes it looks like that today, doesn't it? But remember what I said earlier, God is in control. And even when it looks like he isn't, he is. He is. They stop. It was like, it's all over. We can't do. They've stopped us growing. They've stopped us moving. They've stopped us working. The politicians really do have power. Temporal authority has conquered spiritual authority. Sometimes it can seem like that. But thank God for the prophets. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then the prophet Haggai. Remember Haggai? And Zechariah. They were the prophets at this time. The son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them and encouraged them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shechel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, rose up and began to build the house of God. They thought, we're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to stop doing what God has called us to do. They were doing the same thing that the apostles did in Acts when they said, said we will obey God rather than you. We'd rather go down with God than stay up with Satan. And so that prophetic encouragement came. And that's what prophecy is about, to encourage us to do the work of the Lord. And so they began to do it. And of course, here come the lawyers to enforce the law again. You think, oh, maybe they'll, they'll leave us alone. They won't leave us alone. So there they come in verse 9. Who commanded you to build this temple? This is against the law. We're taking the names of everybody that's on this building site, and we're going to prosecute each one of them. Verse 4, they told them the names. If you go to verse 10, in the letter, now they're writing another letter to the government. Oh, I hate them already, don't you? You know what I mean by hate them, you know. I love them in the Lord. No, I don't. They're Old Testament. You can allow to you can hate the in the Old Testament. You're allowed to hate God's enemies. So I'll be Old Testament for a moment. There, what a bunch of nasty, twisted. You know why can't they just go back to their own heathen homes, and you know mind their own business? Sometimes I feel like saying to people, "Go mind your own business." Telling me how to be a Christian, you're not even saved yourself. Go on, mind your own business. Go on, bog off. Bog off back to Babylon where you belong. Building the house of the Lord. Go on, bog off. No, we're not mugging enough. We're writing another letter to the council. We're writing another letter to Parliament. We're going to get our lawyers. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to. All right, you do what you see fit. Verse 10, we also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief amongst us so that you can go and get them. And you know what they said to us? Verse 11, they said, we are the servants of God of heaven and earth and we're rebuilding the temple. So we need to do something about this. But hallelujah. Verse 5, when all this was happening, oh, this is such a beautiful verse. I think I'll end on it. But the eye of their God was upon the elders. <laughs> His eye is on the sparrow. I feel like singing it right now. 
but I'm not going to, because it would ruin a good evening. His eye is on the sparrow. And the point about that song is if his eye is on the sparrow, how much is it on you? And God allowed all this to take place. You know, sometimes we don't understand what's going on, but we can still trust the Father. Sometimes it looks like it's all going wrong. But God's, God's not going to give up on his remnant. Sometimes it looks like it's in reverse. Sometimes it looks like it's blocked. Sometimes it looks like the powers of law, the powers of, of temporal authority or earthly authority is championing. But you know what? Spiritual authority will ultimately always triumph over earthly temporal authority. And so this is a lesson, not just a lesson for us in the building and restoration of God in Britain and Europe, but also in your own life. Because all of this can be personalized in your life. You coming out of Babylon, you building an altar, you, you becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit in a new way. You going out and doing what the Lord's called you to do sensitively, but according to his word, in your workplace, your neighborhood, your business, your family, and you having opposition because you're righteous, and you seeming like you're being persecuted, or it's going wrong for you, and you're tempted to stop the work of God, and you're tempted to, to but this can all be applied to you, but, the, but his eye is on you. My last story, to talk about how God is in control, i never forget when I read, I know, you know that scripture that says that not one sparrow or bird falls without the Heavenly Father knowing. Do you know that? Yeah. So I'm driving down the motorway, and I'm driving around. I can't remember what I'm thinking of. Uh, I don't know what, I'm just speaking to the Lord. I think it was like trusting about this, that, and the other. And I'm driving along, and for no reason at all, I just look up to my left. I look up to my left, and I can see in front of me, so it's up to the left, but it's sort of like down the highway to the left. I look up to the left, down the highway, and I see this, this bird. I don't know what it is. Was it a black bird? I don't really know what it was, but it was a big bird. It wasn't big bird. Obsessed. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Sesame Street, big bird. It wasn't him, God forbid, but it was a big bird. Pigeon, I don't know what it was. And I looked up at a big bird. I looked up and I saw it, and it was just flying, and then... Bang, it fell. Out of nothing, it fell. I thought, is it up one of those hawks? It fell. And as I drove and I got up to it, I looked down. And I could see it on the lay-by and it was dead. The moment I looked up, and it was dead. And I remembered, not one, and then the verse came to me, not one bird falls without God knowing it. If I'd looked at one second later, or one millisecond later, I'd have missed it. And it was like God was saying, you see... You see, I can be taking you down a highway, Bruce, and without you realizing it and of your own voluntary decision, but really it's me behind it, I can cause you just to flick your eye up for one moment. You see a bird, you see it fall dead, out of nothing, nothing attacked it, and you pass it dead. That's how I can order events so minutely, so with such finesse, such wonderful ways. I am so in control of the world that what I just experienced told me, number one, that God is in control down to the millisecond of everything that takes place. And number two, 
Nothing falls without his permission. His eye is on you. Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer and go out with the song. Now, as we stand in prayer, if you're here for the first time tonight, everybody in prayer, or you're here and you haven't yet given your life to the Lord, then what I'm, what I'm going to ask is that ministry team come to the front. If you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, and if you come with a friend or by yourself, if you've come with your friend and you're not yet a Christian or you, haven't, you don't know if your sins are forgiven, then I encourage you to come out with your friend and we'll pray for you right now. If you're by yourself, come out and speak to us. Don't leave this place without God's eye being on you. Amen. Well, we're, we're going to go out with a praise song, and then we're going to come back next Sunday night. Next Sunday night will be the last in this series. It'll be the Ezra anointing, and then we move into Christmas. And so the week after that will be the Christmas concert, and then the week after that will be the Christmas carol service. But next Sunday uh, will be the Ezra anointing, and we'll be ministering as well. Thank you. God bless you all. Oh, God is great.